How can teachers best facilitate conversations the day after an emotionally charged event? Today on the show, I'm joined by Jenny Lee, science teacher and diversity, equity, and inclusion specialist. I'm your host, Celeste Kirsch, and we are teaching tomorrow. I count Jenny Lee as one of the kindest, most compassionate and intelligent people I get to work with. The day after the insurrection on Capitol Hill in the US, I knew that Jenny would have thoughtful strategies for how to talk to and with students about events like these that are quite frankly happening more and more. In this conversation, among other things, Jenny shares her wisdom on what teachers can consider before they talk to their students, what to do when your students have already discussed it several times with other teachers, and what to do with these challenging conversations when they happen over Meet or Zoom and parents may be listening in in the background. Jenny Lee's approach is infused with genuine care and empathy that I know you will appreciate. So let's dive right in. Jenny Lee, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It's so nice to get to chat with you and to see your face on a video screen. Thanks, Celeste. It's great to be here um, and to um, speak on your podcast and also to share whatever expertise I can. I brought you in today because I just I see you as such a thoughtful, caring, compassionate and so politically aware, and you're such a measured person. Um, I wanted to bring you in to share some of your thinking about how we talk to our students about current events, especially difficult ones, emotionally charged ones, politically charged ones. You're also the diversity, equity, and inclusion curriculum specialist at, at our school. And so you have so much wisdom to share with people. So let's begin, in your experience, what do you think works well when having discussions with students about charged current events? Um, that's a great question. Uh, first of all, I think with anything in teaching, we need to enter into our quote unquote classrooms, whether they're face-to-face -face or, or virtual, knowing our positionality and the lens that we carry when we speak about anything. Um, so, you know, it's really important that we take the time to reflect and be self-aware of how we have internalized what's happening in the world around us and how we've been impacted by them and how that shades the lens um, that we use in understanding these issues. So when it comes to a, these uh, traumatic world events, as a Canadian Korean and as a cisgendered heterosexual woman, um, I am going to understand and interpret these events differently than somebody who's a white male. And I um, was impacted differently by what I saw on TV. So I needed to take some time to reflect and just to help myself untangle my own emotions before supporting my students. So, um, you know, I really love the analogy uh, where someone says uh, that you have to put on your own oxygen mask before you help others. Um, so, you know, Wednesday night, for example, when we saw what happened in Washington, D.C. and all the political unrest, I really needed to take some time for myself to understand how I'm feeling 
and all these emotions, untangle that and unpack that before I could enter into conversation with my students. Um, so it's really important to be aware of that. You know, whether you're having a charged conversation or about current events or you're just teaching a lesson about mitosis, it's important to know um, your positionality in relation to your students, who you are in relation to them and the lens that you carry, because it will also help you to understand their lens as well. Mm. So that's, um, I guess, probably one of the, the biggest things that I would recommend and, and just to be aware of. I Can I jump in here? Because yeah. I wonder, like, you know, you teach science and when you're teaching something like science, are you naming these identities that you carry with you as a teacher so that it is clear to the students where you're coming from when you're processing these events with them? Or is it something that comes up as you are processing? Like, how do you do that as a science teacher? Uh, that's another great question. Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, when I start the course, I'm very intentional um, when I, I share who I am and I talk a little bit about myself and I ask students to share about who they are. This all comes out the very first day of school. So I'm setting a tone that acknowledges the diverse and multifaceted identities in my classroom, that they see that in me and that they see that in each other. So ideally, when you're coming to these charged current events and you're you're talking about the lens that you have, this isn't the first time that you've done so. It's something that, um, that you have set in your classroom an inclusive space that celebrates diversity. And so this just is a natural outcome of, you know, now we, we have this incident that's happened in the world, let's revisit our lens again and our positionality and how does that inform how we see what's happening and understand what's happening. So ideally when you, regardless of what you teach, whether it's calculus or um, law, I think it's it's really good to um, start your class with your you know agreements, meeting agreements and um, your meeting norms, um, but to also talk about and celebrate the diversity in the classroom and and to um, share that information with yourself so that this doesn't have to be done um, at the spur of the moment, that you've already have these great tools and um, norms in place. And so it's just a natural um, uh, like flow um, from that, that space. Yeah, that's so important. I think that I feel like some teachers think that it's more natural to name these identities when teaching humanities. But it's equally important when we're teaching STEM subjects as well, because of course it impacts how you teach. Of course it does. Um, no, I, I totally agree with you. And I think it helps bring the humanity to teaching. You know, as a science teacher, I wear my lab coat and I wear my goggles and students see me as this figure of the system that disappears when they go home. And um, I always laugh when I see them out side in the mall or shopping and they're shocked to see that I exist outside of the institution. Um, but when you weave in these these personal aspects of who you are and I talk about how I love bubble tea and and I celebrate my identity and um, it allows them to do the same. And I, I think it just it sets a really inclusive warm environment where students can bring their whole selves into the classroom. And again, they see you as a human and you see their multi-faceted um, selves as well. Yeah, that is really important. 
You actually, you had a conversation today with some students about the events that happened in Washington. What did you notice came up in those conversations? And what worked about those conversations for you from a DEI perspective? Because this is what you do and what you do so well. So what were some of the thoughts that you had when you were setting up that conversation? Well, I have to say, I mean, I do this work a lot, but I was I was nervous because I had opened up uh, a time and space for anyone in grade nine to 12 to pop in, to just talk and process out loud or just listen to um, other people sharing about what happened on Wednesday. And I didn't know how it was, it was gonna go, but I had a plan. And <laughs> so, you know, I think what worked well was I was very intentional about uh, what I wanted to accomplish, what my objective was, um, and who my audience was, and just even the timing of it. And I, I, I invited um, certain people to also be present um, just for support. Now, I know sometimes we can't always do that, um, but I think the part that worked really well was that I was an intentional, uh, very intentional and I put care into the conversation. Sometimes we, you know, we have good intentions and we think, okay, I'm gonna address this in my classroom, but we, we don't put in the same thought that we would in an actual lesson. We just, we just, you know, go for it. And we wing it, yeah. And um, oh, that's so dangerous uh, because these are very emotionally charged conversations. And so um, we need to, we need to tread carefully with care and intention, being mindful of who's in the room, who's not in the room. When I say room, I have air quotes, um, but, uh, and and be thoughtful and, and think about how you wanna begin and how you wanna end. The ending part is really key because you don't want students to, um, well, in this case, press leave meeting and um, be left in a state of despair. You want them to, have well I think you need to be clear on your objectives for me today it was to help students process what's happening and what's what they've internalized and how they've understood but also somehow find hope as we move forward together and um, that was my general like bookend between how I wanted to start and how I wanted to finish and um, I was really pleased because, you know, I felt a lot of pressure. How am I going to do this if, if the conversation is going in a direction where it's becoming very depressing? How am I going to turn it around authentically? And you know what? I didn't need to. The students were so amazing. They were so resilient that I didn't have to say anything. They um, were so just in touch with what is going on that they were able to bring hope to me. I went into that conversation thinking, okay, I'm gonna be there for my students. And I left so grateful that these students um, were able to give me hope. Um, one, because here we have this amazing generation of leaders who are really gonna make a difference in the world. And two, um, you know, they just had such maturity and understanding of what is actually happening here. I mean, um, on the surface, it looks like this. It looks like political unrest and an attack to democracy. But on deeper levels, it's much more than that. And, and they understood that. So um, 
I think that's what worked well. It's, you know, I was intentional and uh, I owned my nervousness. I went in with authenticity and I removed my teacher hat. And it was just a space where um, not teacher and student, um, but people came together on a level ground to talk about what's happening in the world. And we removed our, there was no hierarchy that we removed the hats and the roles that we have and we just came as ourselves authentically and I think that's why it was powerful. You, I think it's so important that you're saying to plan in advance for these kinds of conversations because you know as a teacher myself I've had more impromptu conversations about current events and I didn't always feel prepared for how they went and finish the conversation feeling frustrated or dismayed or confused and I'm sure my students felt the same way. Uh, when you were planning this conversation that you had today, did you, like, I'm curious how you were thinking about it. Did you think about it as a protocol or were you going in with some guiding questions or did you go in with um, talking points? Like, how did you actually set up that experience for the group? Yeah, I think, um, well, when I say plan, I don't, I I, I want to clarify that I didn't have um you know, those teacher lesson plan templates. <laughs> you didn't have structured <laughs> points and, and all of that. No, um, no, I, I, I guess I used a um, very informal UBD, you know, working backwards design um, framework. This is what I wanted to, I want students to leave with. And, um, but at the same time, given that it's been maybe 48 hours since uh, what happened, emotions are still going to be raw and people are going to be coming in with different perspectives and different lenses. So today, um, what I wanted to accomplish, I, I knew that I wanted to accomplish um, the, the in, unpacking and the, I guess, investigation of feelings. And, and so I wanted to help students process feelings because some students weren't able to name how they were feeling, um, you know, and and this this makes a lot of sense. Students are upset, but they don't know why they're upset. So, helping them make connections between the left and right brain, um, you know, how, why they are angry or why they're crying, and connecting that to the left side, um, because and one student articulated this really well. She um, is American, and she felt shame but also love deep love for her country and um you know she was conflicted internally because of what she was seeing for a country that she loved so much and so helping students to be able to process that was my my hope and so um, i started off with thinking about well how am i going to get students to name how they're feeling um because they may not be able to identify um, so we talked about, so I, I just use this informal, I do this a lot, uh, a check-in where I ask students to just type in the chat box, um, describe what number adequately describes how you're feeling today versus Wednesday at around this time, 3 p.m. And, um, you know, it, it started off with something like that. And, and I gave them some think time um, and I thought, you know, this allows them to, to reflect a little bit before they just start talking. Because I think that's a danger too, is if you know students will just start to talk and they want to talk, but 
they need time to think. So allowing students to take some time, think about the number, think about the words, putting it in the type, uh, chat box, um, allowed them to process a bit. And the great thing about Zoom and Google Meet is only one person can speak at a time because that's <laughs> the way the mic works. And so people have to listen to one another. Um, and so if you know if you're using meeting norms, you can unmute yourself and speak and people are are listening. and and the conversation just kind of organically happened and unfolded as a result of that. So it started off with really just checking in with where people are, using a number. And I had other strategies planned, but it just it you know, I, I didn't need to use them. Yeah. You mentioned before we hit record that you didn't really get a chance to come to this with your students that you were teaching in your science class today because they said that they were like tapped out. They had obviously had other conversations about this. What advice do you have for teachers that maybe want to have these conversations but are perhaps, you know, the fifth class of that child's day? How might a teacher still be able to process these events honoring that some students may have had three or four conversations already. Yeah. <laughs> and that was me. You know, I was ready. Period three, I was like, I had this amazing dual lesson plan, science slash um, DEI and current events, um, and a Padlet ready to go. And um, my students, not a single one of them wanted to talk about what was happening in the world because they had two heavy lessons already and discussions on it. And so um, I was a little disappointed, but um, I think it's still important to indicate that what is happening matters. It matters to you, it matters um, It matters in general, but it matters to you and you are there. And sometimes that's all students need to know is that you are aware that you care and that um, you're there. Oh my gosh, that, that rhymes. <laughs> you're aware, you care, and you're there. Because um, they may not be able to speak to you about it today, but in a week's time, something new might surface. And let's be honest, you know, in the next two weeks, we don't know what to expect. Um, but I would revisit it again and, and just keep checking in with where students are. Um, but students, you know, for, for some students, school, is an escape from the world. And my classroom, where they're doing right now investigate, investigations on factors that affect heart rate, they wanted to get on with that. And they did not want to talk about what was happening in the States anymore for now. So it was so a factor I, affecting their heart rate. It was making yeah. their heart rate too high and they just needed to actually study that. Right. But I think that it's important that you just offered it because I think the worst thing that might happen is that a student hasn't had two other conversations about it that day and they come to your class and no teacher offers that conversation or something really big happens in the world and we all just think that heart rate is the most important thing and we don't give the option to land on it and talk. So I think it's great that you offered it and that you were able to pivot. That's the word, but mm -hmm. that you were able to adjust and to plan to move forward and be there if needed. Like your students know that you can talk about it if you want. Yeah, for sure. And um, let's remember that what we don't say is just as powerful as what we do say. 
So if we don't even take two seconds to acknowledge what's happening in the world and say that you're there to support them, that speaks volumes. It it you may not intend to say you're not caring, but for some students that indicates that you don't care, that you may not care. Um, and again, identity and positionality matters. So if you have a student who's a student of color or has been marginalized in some way or who has family in DC and you as a teacher do not take time, even one minute to acknowledge what's happening in the world and that you're there, that says something. So um, it's it's crucial to be aware of that and to just, just to reinforce that even if they've already had that conversation. And if they're not able to have that in the class, you can say I'm available you know, outside of class hours um, if you wanna speak with me. Yeah, I love that. That's a really, obviously a simple and a straightforward thing that seems so obvious, but it's it's good just to remind people of that. I was really conscious when I was talking to my homeroom students that there are maybe parents in the background. We're in distance learning right now. Ontario is in a lockdown situation and all schools in Ontario are distance right now. And some people listening to this may be in person. Some people may be in the same situation, classes over Zoom or Google Meet. I can only imagine how tricky it might be for a teacher to facilitate this kind of a conversation, knowing that a parent may be just off the screen. And it's difficult even when it's just students. But when you think a parent might be just out of the way, perhaps judging or disagreeing with some of the things that are coming up in the conversation, that could make it really tricky. Do you, I mean, I don't expect you to have like an answer to this, but do you have any suggestions for teachers that are not as comfortable having these kinds of conversations when parents may be indirectly part of them? Yeah. And, and I think that's the reality right now. I am always subconsciously aware that there may be somebody else in the room listening in on the conversation. You know, I, I like to start my conversations reiterating our values, um, our school values and my values, but in particular our school values, um, our classroom norms when we engage in these kinds of conversations. And I love this quote um, by James Baldwin. I use it all the time, but um, you know, it, he says, we can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and denial of my humanity and right to exist. That's where we can't agree to disagree. Um, and, and that's in align with our values. We are a school that um, prioritizes and values equity, inclusion, justice. We um, are, we're aspiring anti-racists. We have a long way to go, but that is our value. And so these difficult conversations, we need to enter them with care, um, courage, and an understanding that it might be uncomfortable, but um, you know, we, are, we do this because we want to be transformative leaders and that's part of our BSS mission statement. So um, you know, I try to have that little caveat in the beginning um, because it's in line with who we are. And, and so this is why we have to have this conversation, uh, but that kind of sets the boundary um, around, and I'm making like a square at you, um, but uh, it kind of just gives the guidelines and the boundaries towards the conversation and where it's going to go. 
I think that's so important. Um, I think it helps us as teachers remember that this is why we're doing this, but then it also frames for anybody else that's part of the conversation why this is important and why we're doing it. It's not just because we have a political motive. It's because this is a part of a larger educational piece that is really important for young people to have access to and that they have a right to these kinds of conversations. Mm -hmm. Do you have any other suggestions for teachers who may not be as versed or comfortable in having these kinds of conversations about multi-layered political events? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting how you introduced me because I don't see myself as an expert in this at all. What? <laughs> this, this is like, these are uncomfortable conversations to have. And as a science teacher, I can tell you, I wasn't equipped to have these conversations in my classroom, um, but it matters. And, um, you know, think about the hidden curriculum and Freire and uh, these amazing um, academians who, who really remind us of what education is about. Um, I think that's what has helped me take these steps. Um, going back to the why, why did I become a teacher? Um, it's not to teach content, it's to teach students. And um, my, I don't wanna call it a job because it's it's what I love to do, but what, what we do day in and day out is centered around them. Um, you know, and I, I would say start where you are. Um, you know, be authentic. I love Brene Brown's work on vulnerability and authenticity. Um, and I can't function in any other way. I, I come in, <laughs> um, I'm silly and I'm, I'm real and, and sometimes a little unprofessional. <laughs> um, but, you know, start where you are with your students. Be real. And, you know, I was struggling when I entered the conversation today. I, I wanted to be strong for my students because I felt like I needed to, to carry the load. But I was really struggling as a person of color with everything that was happening. And that was okay. You know, that was okay. I, I, I realized that um, everyone was struggling. And in a moment where I felt weak, other people were being strong. And that's what made it so beautiful was I didn't need to be this um, leader standing up in the front of the classroom. One, I can't physically do that. But two, um, that's not what this is about. We are coming together um, as human beings to try to support one another. Um, so I would say start where you are. You know, if you, if you feel comfortable, take off that teacher hat. Um, and, and I would do it in little bite-sized chunks. This doesn't need to be a one-hour conversation um, about history and civics. Um, I couldn't even do that because I don't. My history isn't that strong. <laughs> I I would say like don't don't do too much. You know, just just if you if you just need to be there for your students to support them and be a ear to listen, and that's what you can do, then just do that. You know, just just listen. And you know, I the one question I had was you know dis, despite what's happening in the world, where where can we find glimpses of hope as we move forward? And I didn't need to provide the answer to that question. The students did that for themselves. So that was the beauty of this conversation was, I did not have to be the expert. I did not have to even be this moral 
this model of moral and ethics and strength. I came in vulnerable, um, but just, just desiring to create a space for people to share and support one another. And we were able to do that together. And I had to thank um, the students and the people who joined us today at lunchtime because I left feeling so hopeful and so encouraged. Um, so, you know, I know when we enter teaching, we we go into the classroom with our professional degrees and, um, you know, our our uh, our pronouns or our titles. And, um, you know, there's an expectation for us to be content experts. But this is different. And it, it takes a while to be comfortable with that new level or this new position or being in that position. Um, but I think if you're being authentic, then uh, it will allow for students to be authentic and for us to be able to have meaningful conversations to support one another. In your experience, have you ever had a conversation like this go off the rails? Like just really go sideways? That's a good question. Um, I, I, I can't say I have. You know, it doesn't surprise me because I feel like you probably would enter that conversation with, well, you say you're not an expert. I wholeheartedly disagree with you. I feel like you would approach that conversation or any conversation you have with at least some level of preparation and thoughtfulness and just the way that you're able to compassionately hold people. <laughs> Thanks for, for saying that. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think it because it can, it can go pear-shaped. Um, it, I think, um, depending on who's in the room, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, what about this? Like, how might you deal with or address misinformation if it were to come up in a conversation? Somebody is sharing something that is just factually inaccurate. Mm -hmm. How do you imagine you may deal with that? So I can, I'll tell you how I how I would handle it as a science teacher. And this is where I'm owning my positionality and my lens. And, you know, I'm not a historian and I'm not a law teacher. And so I actually used to think of that with a deficit mentality. Oh, you know, if I had only did more, um, take more courses in university about this, I'd be better equipped to have these conversations in the classroom. But my superpower is science. And in science, <laughs> we are all about evidence and empirical data. So, um, you know, it, it's become a norm in my class to challenge one another um, to say, well, what evidence do you have to support your claim? In fact, we use the CER model, claim evidence reasoning, and we practice having um, a civil discourse disagreement on CER, um, that framework. And so if a student makes a claim, I'll say, that's interesting. What, what evidence do you have to support that claim? And how reliable is that evidence? Um, and, I, and I'll just say, like, it might, might be annoying, but I'm just, I'm going to put on my science hat for a moment. And I'm going to, we're going to revisit the CER model because every student in science knows it. Um, where did you get that information from? And how reliable is that information? Because we want to make sure that our claims are grounded in real, reliable um, data. And as scientists, that's uh, what we do. So um, in this class, that's something that we're gonna prioritize. So that's how I would approach it. I think that would work for any course. Um, but, you know, I, th I think 
you know, also how you say it is important. You know, that's that's interesting. You should say that. Um, like I try to assume good intent, and I I don't want to attack anyone. Um, but I'll say that's an interesting. I've heard that before. Um, where was what source did you get that from? You know, that's interesting. You know, because can you can you speak more to that? And and so, and oftentimes they realize themselves. Mm, you know, yeah, actually I saw that on TikTok or. You know, that was a friend of mine who posted that on a rant and I actually don't know. Um, so, you know, and then I said, like, I would encourage you to investigate that further. You know, let's put our science hats on and and let's just check, you know, that that's actually reliable information because right now there's so much misinformation out there. We want to make sure that we're basing our claims on the tr on truth or what's true. Um, so that's how I would I would do that. And usually that at least pauses the conversation for them to say, okay, I'm going to do that. Mm. Yeah, that's really simple. And I think even if you're not in science, that shows up in so many different disciplines that you can easily loop back to that curricular piece of statement evidence analysis, like that mm -hmm. idea of, hey, what are you saying? And can you back it up? Right. Uh, one final question for you. What are your thoughts on sharing your own personal political beliefs with your students? Do you ever feel like you want to do that? Do you do that? Do you hesitate? Like, I remember when I was a student and when I was in high school, uh, the unions were striking. And so teachers were um, doing work to rule. And I remember my teacher saying, like, I'm not allowed to share with you my political beliefs. And they would like, say that line. And I, I don't know if it's true, but I feel like more teachers are sharing. We're certainly sharing more about our identities and attached to that are our political beliefs. And sometimes those are connected. Like when I come out to my students and say, I'm married to a woman, there are certain political beliefs you might be able to infer based on that. So what are your thoughts on sharing your own political beliefs with your students in your classrooms? Oh, that's a tough one. I've, I've gone back and forth on that one, to be honest. Um, and I think people might disagree with me, but you know, as teachers, we have so much power in the classroom. And I forget that, but it's there. And occasionally I'm reminded when a student will apologize to me and say, I'm so sorry, I hope I didn't disappoint you. I'm like, what do you mean? I, like, it's not about me, <laughs> Yuck. but uh, our opinion matters a lot to them. And sometimes students do things just for us, not even for themselves. They do it for us because they admire us. They look up to us. Um, that frightens me. So, you know, we're held to a very high regard. And so what I say, what I don't say matters. And my personal beliefs, I don't have to. I mean, they know me well enough by what I say, what I share, my advocacy for equity, justice. They can probably glean from that my political beliefs, but I don't actually say it. I don't say I'm um, a liberal or a conservative or anything like that. But I mean, if you're paying attention, you'll know who I'm voting for um, <clears throat> because of my values and how I conduct myself in the classroom and what gets me upset. Um, you know, I'll come in, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, this happened and that's not okay. And and the posters that I have around my classroom, it's, it's, it's written on the walls, literally. But <laughs> I will not say, um, I will not say, um, I guess, verbally, because there are students who support Trump in our community, and there are 
students who support Biden. And it's complicated. And I have friends who are Trump supporters. Um, and we have debates, you know, about topics. And um, and I'm, I feel like I'm making headway. Um, but for those, I would never want those students to feel like they couldn't come to me because of my political views. For any other matter, you know, if they're getting bullied or something's wrong at home, well, Miss Lee, she's gonna, she judges me or she thinks that, you know, um, people who with my political views, uh, you know, are, she doesn't respect that. So I don't wanna go to her. Like I, I, I worry about how that will impact my relationship with them. So I never explicitly say it, but I mean, they could probably figure that out. Um, I think one thing I might say is to me, you matter, not because you're my biology student, you matter because you're you as a student, your political beliefs and all of that, that's, you know, that put that aside, please. I, I, I value you because you're a human being. Um, and if you're creating and you're prioritizing inclusion, then I, then I think that's something that we need to consider too. Um, we're not going to, you know, flip the coin and just um, be inclusive for students who have the same political beliefs as us and who have the same values as us. Then we've just reversed um, the whole situation mm -hmm. and we're causing exclusion uh, on another, on another end. Um, so, you know, if we're really prioritizing and value, valuing inclusion, that means everybody, even for people who don't have the same political beliefs as myself. And I, um, depending on the maturity of the student, um, for sure, if, you know, I, yeah, I, I'm very cautious about what I say. Yeah. yeah, it's a really, I love your answer to that because we do have so much power and we have to be really careful with how we show up with that power in the room. And we also have to bring our full selves into the classroom. We have to be authentically human. Like we teach who we are. And I think part of that, when you're having these kinds of difficult conversations is modeling for your students, how to have difficult conversations across political spectrums of opinions, like that you as an educator can model how to, respectfully challenge people. Like I love that your students are doing that and that you can model how to have brave conversations regardless of what you believe in. And I I, I think that's a perfect response. It's really complicated. Usually when people come on the show, I have like a fun and silly ticket out the door. This doesn't feel like that kind of conversation I will bring you on again, just because I think you're brilliant. And I do think you're an expert. And I love the way that you approach these topics with so much compassion and thoughtfulness. Uh, so I, I mean, you haven't even agreed to it, but I'm bringing you back on at some point. Okay. Hope that's okay. Uh, but for the ticket out the door today, I just want to close by asking you, what do you think is the future of learning? Oh, that's exciting. You know, honestly, um, the last 12 months have been, I know, traumatic and probably for some teachers, the worst time in history uh, or, th or their professional history. But for some, this has been a long time waiting for change. And I think we need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable because the future is, I, I, this is not gonna go away. 
these um, events that, you know, the day after lesson, um, we're gonna, I think we're gonna see more of this and, and I'm not meaning to be negative or uh, a Debbie Downer in any way, but this is necessary change that we have needed for a long time. People are tired of being dismissed and being unseen. You know, and when we think about the indigenous people in our country and, and how they've been ignored, um, you know, I think this is finally coming to surface. And DEI is not something that we can silo or just compartmentalize. This is our, our entire work as teachers is this work. So um, to me, that's exciting. I am so excited about what's to come because this is why I entered into teaching. This is why I became a teacher. It wasn't to, I mean, like I love science, I gotta tell you, but I love seeing students just being ignited with the knowledge of who they are and um, just seeing that spark um, become set ablaze and that they're able to um, fully present themselves. And it's about the whole person. And so, you know, I'm uh, so sorry, a long answer to your question is the future of education. I don't want to say is DEI, but this is I, I, what I see is DEI will no longer be a separate portfolio for certain people in the school to do. All of us. Um, this will be the bread and butter of our pedagogy and everything we do is um, justice, belonging, inclusion. Um, I know that the SEL standards um, castle is revising them um, to include diversity, equity, and inclusion and social emotional learning. Um, so this this is it. I, and we are now going to be seeing education from um, and approaching it from a holistic perspective that's real, that's authentic. And to me, that's exciting. I can't wait. Um, I know it's it's daunting. Um, but I think we have just tasted um, the beginnings of really, you know, looking at going back to the uh, essential and non-essential. What is essential in education? You know, we needed to ask ourselves those questions. What do we need to give up? What does it matter in the time of COVID? Well, let's not pick those things up again because they never mattered in the first place. You know, as we move forward, post-COVID, whenever that is, um, let's hang on to the essential and do what really matters. And this this is it. For me, this is it. So um, I'm excited. I'm hopeful. And I know I have you as an ally and as a, an accomplice in this work at the school. Um, and I think that's what I wanted to share is that this is this is not a fad. This is not a trend. This is it. This is the definition, new definition of education. Oh, that is like the most perfect note to end on. I just wish that I could be a student in your class. If we could figure out a way to make that happen. I just love to get to listen to you all day. Jenny Lee, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My key takeaways from our conversation are three things. The first is that it's important to plan ahead before you begin anything that it's important to indicate to my students that what happened matters. Like Jenny said, I am aware, I am there, and I care. I love that. 
And the third one is that framing conversations in the values and mission of my school helps to remind all participants of why we have brave conversations like this. I am so grateful for Jenny for jumping into this episode in the days after this difficult event and for helping us all get a little bit more comfortable with being uncomfortable. If something in the show resonated with you, please take a moment and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's a small thing you can do to help other folks find the show and share the love. That's all the time we have for today, folks. Keep showing up with your unique superpowers. And remember, we are teaching tomorrow.